It's Alum Group's Andrea Lay, Packview's Melissa Burdick, special guest Jackie Donowski from Flywheel, and I'm PVSB, also from Flywheel. Before we get to the CPG Guys episode you've downloaded, it's the week of May 13th, and it's time for the Fresh Four. Four curated news stories from the past week. We find them polyhistorically intriguing. We hope you do too. They're brought to you through our partnership with Retail Wit, your one-stop shop for retail industry intelligence and news. Retailwit.com. It's retail right now. Jackie, kick us off, would you? Disney Advertising and Walmart Connect to bring closed-loop attribution to streaming advertisers. Well, hello there, Fresh Boy listeners. Disney Advertising and Walmart Connect have solidified an agreement to bring the retailer's industry-leading audience solutions and measurement to Disney's addressable streaming inventory. The collaboration will enable enhanced audience targeting and outcome-based measurements for brand campaigns across Disney's streaming portfolio, including Hulu and Disney+. Connecting Walmart's customer insights with Disney's proprietary audience graph will help advertisers reach their desired audiences and measure the impact of their campaigns through closed-loop attribution. Thanks, Jackie. Andrea, over to you. Hello, Fresh 4 listeners. NBC Universal and Instacart link up to bring retail media opportunities to TV. NBC Universal and Instacart are expanding their existing partnership to include a new retail media workstream that will enable Instacart's CPG advertisers to connect with consumers via NBC Universal's streaming and linear television content. In late 2023, the companies teamed up to include access to NBC Universal's streaming platform Peacock as part of the Instacart Plus membership package. Now, with this new first-party data collaboration, advertisers will be able to reach consumers through NBC Universal's content and measure the impact of their campaigns by leveraging ad exposure and purchase data from Instacart. Thank you, Andrea. Melissa, what do you have for us? Amazon has announced a new country that they're opening up. Amazon has announced that it will launch a new dedicated website for Ireland in 2025. Currently, most Irish customers use Amazon sites based in the UK or other European countries. The company said the Irish site will mean that users will be able to avoid additional customs charges and currency conversion fees, and it will also lead to faster delivery and returns for many items. All right, over to you, Peter. Welcome to another episode of the CPG Guys podcast. Our co-hosts, Sri Rajagopalan and Peter V.S. Bond, explore how brands and retailers engage with consumers online, in-store, and everywhere in between. And now, here are Sri and Peter. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the CPG Guys podcast. This is Sri, one of the CPG Guys with a focus on branding, marketing, Retail sales, PL, retail media, and marketplaces. Hold on, folks. Today is a special episode as we're sharing the stage with none other than Mr. Jordan West himself, the host of the podcast Secrets to Scaling Your E commerce Brand, who actually has twice the number of podcasts at us, over 200. And he's also the founder of a digital agency, Mindful Marketing Company. Jordan, please introduce yourself to your audience and tell them about all the wonderful things you are part of in this industry. and Mindful Mark, I believe, Planet as well. <laughs> awesome. Uh, yeah, guys, thanks so much for doing this. This is really fun to get to do this uh, all together like this. Uh, I'm really excited. Yeah, so my name is Jordan West. I'm just outside of Vancouver, British Columbia. Uh, actually, my, my main thing that I do is I own brands. Um, so we now own five brands. Um, and then uh, we had to have a marketing agency to help with all these brands. Um, so that's where mindful marketing comes in. Uh, so uh, all things direct to consumer, e-commerce, uh, and brand focused. Actually, most of our brands are are huge in wholesale as well. So direct to consumer isn't necessarily the only thing that we focus on. Um, and we're more in the apparel space. So it's really fun to get to uh, chat with you guys. Uh, and I'm looking forward to on the second half getting to pick your guys' brains uh, on uh, all things CPG. So uh, I, I really hope you guys were also prepared for this. Peter, how about that? Jordan's going to put us on the hot seat, man. So welcome, Mr. Bond, the man with the golden voice, who sometimes I call Mr. 007 himself. How are you today, sir? Hey, Sri. I'm doing great. I'm looking forward to this conversation because, as you know, 
Jordan lives in my home and native land, country of Canada. And uh, my father is not far from you in Kelowna, British Columbia. So always good to reconnect uh, as a Canadian expat. Uh, I certainly celebrate particularly my heritage every four years during the Winter Olympics when I become an unpolite, rabid Canadian uh, hockey and curling fan. So good to have you on and have this conversation going with you today, Jordan. Shree, it's another great day for us. Am I going to get to hear a lot of curling scores as a result and the curling Super League or anything of that sort? No cricket wanted. We're talking there we go. curling, stones. Canada and... actually plays cricket, Peter. There we go. And where, but, guys, uh, where, where I live, cricket is a huge sport. Uh, in, in Abbotsford? Oh, my gosh. It's just like every, yep. every cricket, whatever you call it's it, everywhere. cricket pitch. Oh. oh, yeah. Everyone's playing. Yep. So in that case, what I'll say to both of you is bonjour, monsieur. Messieurs, if there was such Messieurs, a word. Messieurs, absolutely. There we go. All so right. uh, here we go. So I'm not going to remind our audience what they already know. You can find all our content on cpgguys.com. Jordan will tell you in one second where you can find all his content about the secrets to scaling e-commerce products. So Jordan, where can the audience actually find the podcast easily? That's right. Yeah. I mean, any podcast, uh, you know, anywhere where podcasts are just search secrets to scaling and we will come up uh, as the first one, find the one that has about 230 episodes and, and that's us right there. And y'all already know we curate the show CPG guys podcast, but you can do that because you tell us who to bring on, who to talk to. You can do that by giving us a rating on the Apple Podcast platform by going to rapemypodcast.com slash cpgguys. And so let's jump right in. And I will actually ask Jordan on the hot seat. Well, you know what we should do, guys? We should call this the hot seat show when we start doing this. What do you think, Jordan? Good name? Let's, hot seat let's show? do it. Let's do it. This is the hot seat there show. We go. All right. All right. So, Jordan, you're on the hot seat. And I got a question on digital media, my favorite topic. So you've run a digital media company. You told us how it was born because you actually have a series of brands, five brands um, specifically, and you've been running this for 15, you, you, you've been running this for a while. But in the last 15 months, it feels majority of retail has shifted to at least browsing digital. If you're in the apparel space, it's much more than just browsing. Most of the transactions are now taking place digitally. So in that last 15 months since the pandemic, is business the same? Has your scale as an agency changed? Do you actually now have client partners outside your brands in the process? And how are you adapting for this change? Yeah, I mean, awesome question. So let's let's sort of start with, with the first one there. What has changed in the last 15 months uh, in e-com? I mean, essentially now, it's funny when, you know, we used to say direct to consumer and we used to say e-commerce. You can't say an e-commerce business anymore everyone's e-commerce, right? If you're not e-commerce, that's the, you, you, you either have to be e-commerce or you have to have a massive, an absolutely massive wholesale channel. And that has to be your, your big focus, but everybody has gone the e-commerce um, route. I mean, I, I've got a business that, uh, you know, it's probably three quarters wholesale, but still we're, we're, we're considered a direct consumer brand. So I think that's one of the biggest shifts is that it just forced everybody to move over. Um, that's that's one of the biggest things that we've seen. Now, in the last couple of months, we've seen some massive shifts since iOS 14.5. That, that to me, has been the biggest shifts uh, in e-commerce. And it's really separated uh, the cream from the milk, the wheat from the chaff, uh, whichever one you you want, you want to be. Uh, you want to be the one that's rising to the top. And that has that has been um, absolutely transparent. Even in the last little while, seeing the massive shift and, you know, Instagram CEO going on and saying, we are now going to be prioritizing video content. Um, these are huge, huge shifts in the market where people are like, oh my gosh, you know, we all knew for a long time that we had to prioritize video content. But we weren't getting rewarded to do it, and we weren't getting um, hit for not doing it. And now, now we're realizing, like, oh my gosh, this is a new world uh, in 2021 where we can't just put any ad up there on Facebook and they'll find us customers. It just doesn't work like that. Uh, post uh, iOS 14.5, things are things are a lot different. And Jordan, post 14.5, as an agency, because you represent brands. Is, does that mean targeting and personalization is just going to get a heck of a lot more complicated? I, I think that the big thing is that we just can't track people 
like we could before, right? We're just not seeing the kinds of retargeting audiences that we could before. And so us as an agency, we we saw this coming for, for quite a while. And so the shift that we made um, messaging-wise and then internally as well is that we are the agency that helps you use ads to get off using ads. And so uh, at Mindful Marketing, that has really resonated um, with with our customers. Um, it's resonated with our brands. Um, we haven't been hit revenue-wise whatsoever, um, if anything, in the opposite way with iOS 14.5. Um, and that's been great because we really do uh, have a massive customer base that that talks to each other. And that that is huge. The stats I've seen around iOS 14.5 plus opt-in measures it somewhere around the single digit range. I don't think that's very surprising. I I rarely click and say, yeah, you can track me. I'm I'm almost automatically just saying no, no, no. Yeah. I understand being in personalization, the implication is, but it's really hard for me to when I'm forced to make a choice to justifiably say, yes, you can you can track me. Uh, and I think and I'm in the industry, so I have to imagine that is what's driving most people. So, uh, Jordan, it's great to have you uh, with us today. It's a unique little episode we're creating and and repurposing for both of our podcasts. So that's really great. So back to kind of the fallout from this change in the pandemic and the privacy. We'd love to get a feeling from the the agency side of things. Like, what are the how is the kinds of questions you're getting changing? given all of this tumult and turmoil in in the industry going on? Well, I mean, the biggest question that I hear from our sales team that they're asking us to try to answer is that, you know, people are coming in and they're like, well, how are you solving iOS 14.5? Well, well, we're not. <laughs> we're like, how in the world are we going to go up against Apple? Like, you think a little agency is going to go up against Apple? Like, absolutely not. We live in a new landscape. Right. And so what we're doing is we're trying to to get around. We're trying to do the things that we can do, the control of things that we can. Um, I, I'm a, a huge seven habits of highly effective people fan. And, you know, the first habit is proactivity. Right. So we can only control the things that we can control. And I can't control what Apple's going to do if they're going on this big crusade around privacy. Um, you know, m maybe in the end, we're going to say, like, hey, that was actually a good thing. Right. That was a really good thing that we did. Um, yeah, it hurt us marketing wise for a while. I mean, they're going to do it again to email uh, coming up in the fall, right, with iOS 15 uh, and us not being able to track opens with email. Uh, it's going to happen to text messaging at some point here soon, too. Right. We just have to adapt and we have to shift. Um, and so what, what we're really doing is trying to get people into those um, communities uh, especially VIP groups. That's that's a really big part where uh, these are these owned groups where people can um, talk amongst each other. Uh, and it's really, really important um, for for us. So Jordan, I want to focus a little bit on a couple of your brands that were really intriguing for me as I browse the websites. One is Keep Nature Wild, which is arguably newer in your portfolio, and Little and Lively. How did you become part of both? What was the inspiration? And can you tell the audience listening in today, what is the mission of each of those brands? Again, Little and Lively and Keep Nature Wild. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Great question. Let's start with Keep Nature Wild because we're really mission focused at Keep Nature Wild. So uh, I we actually purchased that brand uh, in May of 2021, um, a brand that I had been following for a while. They were on my podcast. I absolutely loved what they were doing. And so the big thing with Keep Nature Wild is they pick up a pound of trash for every product sold, which is incredible. I was like, how in the world do you do it? And so what, what we've done over there is we've built a... Uh, a community of people that go out and pick up trash, which is incredible. So that we have 5,600 active members around North America that will go on trails uh, with their kids. They'll go on trails uh, with their friends and they'll go pick up trash and then they weigh it. And uh, we've got a system on Slack where they, they put all of their pictures and their weights in. Uh, and last month alone, we picked up 25,000 pounds of trash. So we were actually equating wow. this to foot. We were equating this to, fo to football fields. We just hit five hundred thousand pounds as a business, and uh, so equating it to, to football fields, we figured it was around the eighty mark to fill up eighty football fields full of trash. Uh, is how much we've removed from the trails. 
So for me, I, I really, uh, you know, during COVID got into mountain biking. Um, I've always been a hiker, but I really got into mountain biking. And I noticed as new people started to come on the trails that they didn't get trail etiquette, right? People were leaving trash all over the place. And so it's really important to me to like, when you go up into the wilderness, that it's actually wild. Uh, and so it just fit really well with what we were, uh, you know, with, with how I feel internally. Um, and so, yeah, that's what we do at Keep Nature Wild. And we just happen to sell some products uh, alongside of that. So, <laughs> uh, and then uh, over at Little and Lively, we actually, Little and Lively is just one of the brands um, underneath the Kindred Studio. And so the Kindred Studio's mission uh, is to, um, it, we're family focused. So it's to help families. Um, it's to provide uh, long lasting clothing for families. Uh, it's to help moms feel comfortable Um you know, it's it's really driven by my wife um, and the things that she's seen as we've been raising three kids. Uh, and yeah, that that business um, has just uh, has just been incredible uh, over the years. We've been around for about five years now, and we now have uh, five uh, sorry three soon to be four brands underneath that umbrella. I'm all serving uh, families. So we also have a program there called Kindred Cares. Uh, where we uh, every week we uh, get a nomination for a family uh, in need, and then we go and uh, help that family. So whether that's um, you know going and helping them with new clothes or uh, providing them meals, um, it's just something that we can do to really help out and be effective uh, on a one-on-one sort of basis with families. You know, I did say to the audience right at the beginning of this episode that Jordan was helping make the planet a better place. Peter, we got to get our act together after listening to this. Yeah, uh, Jordan, but just – sorry, Peter, go ahead. No, I, I, my only question, Shri, was whether he was measuring those football fields in American field or Canadian field size because there's like 10 extra yards there, and that can make a difference. Like that – sorry. Would it be yards or would it be like inches? <laughs> okay, or, or, and it could be European because that makes it – now we're talking about football, right? That's a whole That's different right. story. Sorry. We, we, we go, go down rabbit holes every once in a while, Jordan. I have to apologize. Hey, hey, Jordan, back on the brands, right? Can you tell us a little bit about both, for both brands, what the connection is on the digital side? Like, how do you do consumer outreach? Yeah, yeah, very, very interesting. So Keep Nature Wild is actually really wholesale focused. We've, uh, stores really love what we're doing. Um, and that has been, uh, that has been absolutely massive. I believe we're in about 800 retailers right now. Um, no big retailers. Um, we've, we've really tried to stick to kind of the smaller gift shops, um, all, all of those kinds of things. Um, but on the, the digital outreach side, we really use a lot of the same strategies. We're still, I mean, our direct to consumer, uh, side of things that keep nature wild is massive, but we really like the way that we got started when it was just little and lively clothing on that side was all about Facebook ads. Right. And we've realized that, you know, ads are not, cannot be the only driver of business. And we see clients come in all the time when they're like, you know, if we don't spend a hundred thousand dollars more this month, we're not going to be able to survive because it's all ad driven. Um, and we've made that really big shift from ad driven to community driven and actually having products and missions that people uh, are focused on. Um, so uh, some of the directions that we're going with both those brands actually is TikTok. Um, interestingly, in Canada, um, I have uh, you know, a connection with, I believe, three of the 10 TikTok employees in Canada right now. Uh, we, we went on to, to check out some other apparel brands and see what they're doing uh, in the space. And unfortunately... There is only one apparel brand in Canada that's advertising right now that we can find uh, in their finder. And that's Roots, which is kind of an older brand that's not really, <laughs> if anybody knows Roots, it's great for tourists. I know Roots. It's, it's, it's a tourist brand. It's great great yeah. for the Olympics. That's right. I've got that's a right. nice Roots t-shirt. That's right. So yeah, so Roots was... Little known Roots. secret. <laughs> well, ahead. that's that's great. So, actually, interestingly, uh, in Chip Wilson's book, he talks all about how they were the antith—sorry, uh, Chip Wilson from Lululemon. Um, they were trying to be the antithesis of Roots uh, in everything that they did uh, in Vancouver. So, uh, yeah, super super interesting uh, stuff there. I don't even know what kind of tangent I got on. I'm trying to remember exactly where I was. Oh, here, that's but... all right. <laughs> no, but uh, but I think for our audience, the message was pretty clear on the digital connection side. Little known secret. My Roots t-shirt was acquired because my brother is actually Canadian and lives in uh, Toronto. Oh, uh, right, awesome. Right on Young Street. So I got my first Roots t-shirt two decades ago. 
My my little two year old daughter has uh, quite a number of roots t shirts and and sweatshirts to to clad her during uh, various seasons of the year. Wouldn't be a Canadian if I didn't have that. But in any event, um, you know, just like you, Jordan, in terms of having both a podcast and and an agency and. Uh, and some brands, Shri and I do some things extracurricularly beyond our podcast. For me, I work for a company called Fetch Rewards, which is a mobile platform that allows consumers to get uh, rewarded for buying the brands they love. And we track it. We have about 8 million people who scan and take pictures of their register receipts uh, and also tie to their email so we can see their e-receipts. And what we're seeing, the reason I bring that up is we're seeing a tremendous amount of uptick with the pandemic uh, starting to wane, the immunization rate going up, we're seeing a tremendous uptick in physical store transactions coming yeah. through from our 8 million users. So my question to you is really, we saw a tremendous amount of growth in e-commerce. What are your predictions or what are your understandings of where this unified commerce world is growing now that there is a a shift back into the physical world. Is that necessarily in uh, in exchange for a diminishing of of online, or is it more of a an enhancement that everybody is shopping more broadly going forward? Yeah, awesome question. So I and I get pushback on this all the time, like constantly get pushback uh, from my friends. Uh, especially, uh, I've, I've got one of my, one of my best friends owns a shoe company and I've told him, I said, you have to be in wholesale. You have to get back. He was in about 200 stores at one point and they just cut their wholesale program. Subsequently, interestingly, what do you think happened to their online? It went down. They didn't, they didn't yeah. keep going because, because wholesale, uh, sorry, I, I keep calling it wholesale, whatever it is, retail, right? When you're selling into yeah. retail, <clears throat> it's another marketing channel for you. Right. So if you have the margins, which you should have the margins to go in, if you're in business, you should have the margins to be able to get into wholesale. Otherwise, it's not a get a new product and get a new product line because uh, you, you won't be making money either way if you don't have margins to get into wholesale, um, because how are you going to acquire customers? Anyway, tangent. Um, I really. Yeah, go for it, Peter. I was going to say, look at all the, the you know, the D to C brands that have successfully scaled at some point had to cross the chasm and make the decision to get into physical retail. And yeah. if you walk away from it now, yeah, it's really nice, but let's remember that most most sales are really happening in the physical world, even in, in spite of the pandemic. And if you walk away and don't recognize and respect that, I don't think you're gonna be able to scale your brand. I, I completely agree. And I think one of the big things that, that I'm seeing as well is um, actually putting in these flagship retail locations. So for, for us, we're really thinking um, Vancouver, Toronto to start, right? These flagship retail locations because people want to come have that physical experience with your product, right? Um, maybe a little bit different in the CPG world, um, but I still believe, and because and flagship retail may not work as well in that world, but in apparel, I am all about that. I want to get on West Forth. That's that's where we want to be in Vancouver, which is like really. Yeah. I mean, that's where Lululemon started. Um, that was their their very first location. Um, I love it. You know, being a Vancouver guy, um, getting down there. So I, I really do believe that it, it. To me, it's a stool, right? It's it's a, a stool, and a stool with one leg is in, as a purely e-commerce brand, right? But the more of these, uh, the more of these revenue streams that you can create. Um, the more that the entire stool gets stable um, and you actually are growing a business and a brand. Like we're, we're highly in acquisition phase right now. Like we're acquiring another brand uh, end of August right now. And and for us, we look and we see, okay, where are they? Um, they happen to be in one of our biggest retailers. And I'm like, awesome. If that if our biggest retailer is carrying you, I know that you're a good brand. Um, that that to me was a, was a really good sign. And the fact that they were in a little bit of retail, um, yeah, those are the, those are the things that I see going forward uh, with retail. I don't think retail's dead. Anytime somebody says retail's dead, I'm like, what are people going to stop buying things? Like, <laughs> like yeah, yeah e-commerce went up, but Jordan, this next recommendation 
by me may be driven by the fact that I've been listening to the Yacht Rock channel on Amazon Music, but for a flagship store location, Chilliwack. Gone, 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 she been gone, so sorry. I can't get that song out of my head. One of the great one-hit wonders of my youth, but anyhow. Yes, yes. yes I think that's enough not, of not us terrible, asking questions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, yeah. so for our audience, I promised you right at the beginning of this episode, this is a shared episode with CPG guys, as well as with the Secrets to Scaling Your E-Commerce Brand podcast. We asked Jordan four questions. Guess what Jordan gets to do, Peter? He puts you and me on the hot seat. Wait, so we have to answer something? Uh-oh. Yeah, for the first time in over 110 episodes, we get put on the hot seat. So, Jordan, I'm going to turn over the floor to you. You get to ask us four questions to each. Call out our name, Shri, Peter. Give us the question, and we can't wait to engage. The oh, floor is all yours, Jordan. I can't wait to ask the questions here, guys. Uh, very, very excited about this. Um, all right. So let's start out. So this is for my audience now, guys, Jordan back here. Uh, I am now in charge and, uh, these two guys, they're turning red right now because I got some really difficult, uh, questions for them here. <laughs> Just kidding. I really like these guys here. Uh, okay. So Those guys- on the video can see my face is actually red now. <laughs> I think mine is actually the red face right now. So <laughs> Shree, just turn off the heat lamp that you don't, right, you don't need. That. There we go. Yeah, exactly. It's like, I'll say 90, you know, because uh, I'm sure everyone knows Fahrenheit that listens to this. Um, okay, guys. So uh, let's start out. First of all, Peter, um, I know you gave us a little bit of a hint of, of what you do. Can you just give, uh, for my audience who knows absolutely nothing about you, I'm going to start with Peter first. Tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Uh, well, sure. So my background is... I'll say this, Shri and I met over 20 years ago when we were both in the market research space. I primarily stayed in that. I spent nine years at a company called IRI that tracks uh, consumer packaged goods sales across a number of different channels, grocery, mass merchant drug, primarily convenience value and what have you. And I dealt with very big retailers like Kroger and very big manufacturers like PepsiCo and Campbell Soup Company. Uh, I then joined a company called Dunhumby, which was managing all of the customer data that was being generated by the largest pure play grocery retailer in the U.S., Kroger. Some would say it's it's Walmart, but Walmart is more than just grocery. Um, and then for three years, I ran the brand and category personalization component of the Extra Care Loyalty Program at CVS, which is the second largest drug retailer in the United States. If anyone knows CVS, yes, I am the person responsible for the six foot long register receipts when you you get when you buy a bottle of soda. So I am the I was the uh, the target of late night comedy, mocking the fact that um, you can <laughs> replace uh, broken vertical blinds with these register receipts. But in any event. Uh, and then uh, I spent three years working uh, at a, um, a consumer feedback company called Power Reviews. They manage, uh, if you go to, for instance, in Canada, if you're at Shoppers Drug Mart uh, and you go onto the site and you see a product and it has a rating and review for the product, they were basically a SaaS platform that sat, sat behind that. So I gotcha. managed retail strategy for them. And then more recently, I, I joined this company called Fetch Rewards, which is uh, it's what we in the industry refer to as a unicorn. So it's a, uh, a startup privately held company that has a valuation of over a billion dollars. Um, I've been working with them on a project and the chief revenue officer who I'd known for 15 years just called me up one day and said, you know, I'd rather negotiate this deal with your company having you on my side of the table. So that's how I did it. My areas really of interest are loyalty and CRM, but focused around data and insights. Like really the old way anything was targeted, particularly media, because when I talked about that register receipt, it was just a series of offers. Mm. The offers are driven by your purchasing behavior, right? So if you, if I go to a company like Coca-Cola, how do I want to target my advertising? The old way where I send, where I, I'm, I, I want to target a female who's age 18 to 24, or am I better off actually being able to use behavioral purchasing data to target 
someone who is a uh, a frequent purchaser of diet soft drinks. I'm going to argue mm. that the latter is probably more valuable. And what that means is you can get a more efficient marketing spend. And that's honestly where retail media is going, right? Right now, they're, that you can target at, you can target for particular words in search, but increasingly retail media is, I can target a consumer based on their prior purchasing behavior and regardless of what they're searching for, I know that you're gonna wanna talk to them because they are highly relevant yeah. to the products that you sell. That is, that's really the focus in the area of where I've been with my big data and going from kind of voice of the consumer through what they buy to voice of the consumer through what they're saying about the products they buy. I love that. I just want to hop on that point for a second. What we've seen in the sure. first the first couple months of iOS 14.5 is really no change in Google whatsoever, right? And Google is behavioral, right? It's a behavioral yeah. machine that's like, mm -hmm. of course, we're not seeing any difference in what, what what's going on over at Google comparatively to Facebook, right? So people are dumping their money yeah. over in Google because they're actually seeing results over there. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I just wanted to, to jump on that point. Um, you know, it's so true because... I was just going to say one thing yeah, yeah. before. Go for it. When it, you know, I remember five or six years ago when I was at CVS, we created a targeting uh, partnership with Facebook and started taking on a roadshow to brands to try to get them to invest. And some of the sophisticated big CPG companies just gave a big yawn. And the reason they gave a big yawn was that the attribution component, right? Mm. Facebook doesn't allow for the kind of robust attribution that so many other uh, mechanisms, particularly digital media, allow. And they, they need that to fuel their, their CRM targeting uh, engines. And so Facebook is a, it's, it's still highly in demand, but Google gets you much closer to attribution. Retail media gets you to attribution. That's really where the world's going. Interesting. I, I'm interested to ask you a couple more questions about that after. Sure. For, I, I need yep. to know some more about Sri, though. So um, let me know a little bit, or not not just me, let my audience know a little bit about who you are you and what you do. You bet. I'm the other CPG guy for one, but 25 years in this industry, in the consumer goods industry. The first eight years was spent at market research firm IRI, which I don't think has a Canadian presence anymore, but competitive to Nielsen, Mark Classic market research and measurement. I spent 10 years in the PepsiCo ecosystem, both on the beverage side as well as on the Frito-Lay side, lived eight years in Texas. Variety of roles, I've led. I've been in the dollar drug convenience channel for Frito-Lay, classic brick and mortar. I've led business intelligence, insights and analytics as part of the DNA at this stage. Started up Ecom for Frito at some point and then spent five years as VP of Ecom for Johnson & Johnson back in New Jersey and a year with Revlon, Elizabeth Arden in New York City. So I actually live in New York City. And then at the time we recorded this episode, I was with with a food brand, one of the largest food manufacturers in the world called General Mills. And um, CPG Guys is part of my life at this stage. I love what I do with Peter, you know, doing this week over a week, bringing guests on. It's also my chance, Jordan, to really stay in touch with the industry and its transformation, both retail, brand, as well as even we bring a ton of service providers on to talk to us about everything from analytics to uh, fulfillment to you name it that spans the extent of retail both on the brick and mortar side and on the um, e-commerce side. So we're a truly omni-channel show, the CPG guys. But that's that's me in a that's me in a nutshell. Awesome, that's great. I've got a question, and, and maybe one of you guys can just reach out and grab this one here. Um, what have you guys seen on the CPG side uh, as far as uh, consumer behavior in the last fifteen-ish yep. months that has changed? And I'm I'm going to go ahead and say toilet paper can't be the answer. <laughs> <laughs> no, toilet paper actually won't be the answer. But you do <laughs> remind me, Jordan, of that crazy spike we had for three months where toilet there was I think a rumor somewhere in the United States that. You know, uh, the COVID disease itself has something to do with a need for toilet paper. But I'm still working through the inventory that I bought in March of last year. It's crazy. <laughs> there we go. We didn't have those problems in New York City. We were well well stocked and supplied. But that said, that said, Jordan, what's changing, you know, if you look at e-commerce and its evolution in the United States, the United States was arguably behind most 
developed countries, especially the European countries, and way behind Asia in terms of its penetration. Um, even that dependent on subcategory. My days at Revlon and Johnson & Johnson, I experienced the transformation in the beauty and healthcare segments, especially more in the, I would say, the cosmetic section, fragrances section, as well as um, skincare significantly. Apparel, electronics, consumer behavior, all these have already moved almost 50-60% of all transactions take place exclusively online these days. And mm. I don't mean just the browsing behavior of a consumer. It's the actual purchase cycles as well have moved. Food and Bev really lagged. You know, whether it was a Pepsi, a Coca-Cola, or didn't, a Mondelez, it really didn't matter. Because in the United States, the way consumer behavior shaped over a century is the attractiveness of going to a store and collecting a basket full of items to do pantry loading over a one-hour trip mission is the way it's historically been. But the pandemic hit us March of last year. The ability to go into a store with the frequency, the time that a consumer wanted to complete a full basket purchase, you know, coupled with the store hygienity concerns, do I want to spend hour, hour and a half in the store touching that many aisles, held consumers back initially from being in store and changing their shopper behavior to the day. And it's July 2021, while trips have returned definitely back in store, they're actually larger. The number of trips are higher than 2019, which was the baseline we have to compare with. From a shopper behavior, the size of the basket has shrunk. And the mm. time spent on a trip has also significantly shrunk because people want to be in and out quickly. They don't want to touch as many aisles, you know, lower touch environments. Some portion of the population is definitely looking for scan-and-go type models, ones you find at Sam's Club, the Amazon store, those kind of models where it's just easier to check out. Self-checkout is in action. Now, my own my own humble learning across all of this is for certain categories, there's a permanent inflection on the digital side. There's no debate. Yeah. Digital e-commerce, call it what you may. But even for categories where the purchase occasion largely still sits in the store, and happens in the in-store model. Let's take innovation as an example. She's almost discovering a majority of the innovation that manufacturers put out online. That's where a lot of that is taking place. She's able to go to the search bar. She doesn't have to walk through aisles and she can type out exactly what she wants on the search bar and within a few seconds, she gets the 10 items that are meaningful to her that may include some conquesting, that may include brands that are awesome at SEO, but that's what she gets to see. So to me, that if anybody who says there hasn't been a permanent inflection on the digital side is giving a miss. Now, I'm not saying that means the store model doesn't matter because, you know, 80% of all volume still comes from the store. There's just an inflection up on the digital side and it can't be ignored. And if you're thinking innovation, that inflation is significantly larger. Yeah, I, I would add to that that we talk about how consumers have been transformed by doing transactions online, they are exposed to substantially more content, content in the form of uh, images of the product, videos that show how the product can be used, uh, ratings and reviews, uh, health lifestyle tags like gluten-free, uh, non-GMO, fair trade. All of these are experiences that when they go back to the physical store, that they expect to be able to find that content. And if you're a physical store retailer and you haven't started to solve for the ability to deliver enhanced content and experience in your physical store, let me tell you something. There's this company out in Seattle that if they can't find that while they're walking your store, they're going to open up this, this app called Amazon. They're going to search there. They're going to find the content. And there's a good chance they're actually going to buy it while they're in your physical store. So beware, it, to Shree's point, it has changed the expectation of the consumer. Yeah. And omni-channel retailers have to recognize that. Absolutely. Love that answer. Uh, and it's going to be interesting also to see, like if we you know, look in the crystal ball, it's like, which one of these, you know, which are, are people going to continue to have these little short trips? Or is that still the, you know, the tail end of COVID in North America, you know, that people still have this fear um, or, or is there going to be a massive shift back to wanting to talk to people? Um, interestingly, when I actually go into a store now, I get so annoyed that I can't just find something right away. 
Um, I, I almost go to my phone. I'm like, I wish that there was a, just an app. Like, can there be a QR code somewhere close to me that tells that so I can search the store? I'm you, sure that it's already been invented. Up, but. You brought up my two favorite letters, Jordan. Another thing very transformational in our industry. QR. Yeah. Think about that. It was, in, it was created for the Japanese automotive industry, and that's pretty much where it stayed. And then when smartphones came around in around 2008, Everyone thought, okay, well, now now QR codes are going to take off. But, of course, you needed a separate app, and that added friction. You know, QR codes are readers are built into every uh, iOS camera app and most Android apps, right? So all you do is hover over the QR code. And coupled with the pandemic, where rest, it's hard to go to a restaurant and not just get the menu from a QR code. I mean, that that has fundamentally transferred the, the ability of uh, – brands in whatever form, a manufacturer or retailer is a brand, to be able to communicate in both directions with it's, consumers. And it's transformational. Absolutely. On, on the CPG side, I was uh, hosting a panel a little while ago with, uh, and one of, one of the people on there was um, Nick Hall from Vita5, um, uh, mm-hmm. awesome guy. And uh, we were asking, like, so how have things changed for you? And they've actually been adding to their... Um, So they're in tons of retailers, right? But really, they want to get people onto their subscription model. So they've added a QR code um, that automatically starts a text message conversation with their brand. So they're not trying to... So And it's just for customer support. But really, what it's doing is getting them onto the subscription model, right, in the end. So they've seen their subscriptions completely um, skyrocket since then, using the QR code uh, as uh, the way to get them in. Right. And so it's it's a really great way because it, it also helps the stores with their customer support. Right. Um, mm-hmm. But it helps the brand at the same time. Anyway, sorry, I, I'm, I'm getting on a pedestal right now. I, I want to ask you guys a couple more questions here. Sure. <laughs> um, what, what do you think? Let's 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 talk about the negativity from uh, the pandemic. What do you think has changed in a bad way in the CPG space? Peter. You know, Sri talked about something that was um, that was important to understand. Um, we have to look at CPG's consumer packaged goods not as a monolithic entity, but as a, a, a conglomeration of different categories. You know, a lot of packaged goods, particularly shelf-stable, shippable brands, had been highly engaged in the digital economy for years. Why? Because they were selling through retailers like Best Buy and Walmart and Target. All of a sudden, these these other categories where e-commerce was not a core component, think perishable consumables, right? Mm. Prior to the pandemic, less than 5% of all perishable purchases in the U.S. were being conducted through digital transactions. Right. And so all of a sudden now the digital shelf, the rules of the digital shelf, what drives SEO, that all of a sudden became radically important. If you, if you believe eMarketer, by the end of next year, 12% or more of, per, of perishable consumption will occur through e-commerce. Now they've got to invest in assets, notably content assets, that, um, that are that are straining them. So the what's the downside or the negative side? These brands are unprepared, and the question is, do they have the skill set to mm. think about supporting their omni-channel clients that aren't just about circular ads and just aren't about displays and and that's an injustice to the consumer because the consumer is already there. They're already there. And the CPG brands, they can be very slow to react. And they have a very structured budgetary process. And it's going to be challenging for them to catch up. And the brands that do are the ones that will succeed. The ones that don't are just left there and watching their, you know, they get all, they're already frustrated by the fact that their shares in digital, so on Amazon, are not what their shares are in traditional brick and mortar where they have a more, and they've invested to have a dominant place. They're gonna watch that brick and mortar share uh, just fall away and they're mm-hmm. gonna kick themselves, but that is, that's a real downside. And what happens in the meantime is, you know, a lot of, 
a lot of consumers are going to start to lose their focus on traditional brands that they have been purchasing for years now. I think it's bad for the brands. I think it can also be bad for the consumers. You know, you want as much information to help you make educated purchase decisions. That's what the digital economy is really bringing us. Mm. Sri, any thoughts on that? Yeah, in terms of what's changed with CPG, uh, I would actually, I'm going to go to the side where I think the entire industry is full awareness of the fact that digital has a role to play for any brand practically. There's a lot of talk about what is the role of D2C for the first time, even at many most scale brands are having that conversation. This digital chasm that has been created in the last 15 months, I'm going to go ahead and on a limb and say for most large scale brands that depend on wholesale for their transactability, the skill set required to win in digital is somewhat evolved and different from winning in the store model. <coughs> Excuse me. I'm not sure if all large brands have that skill set to develop quickly. There's a handful of heroes practically across all large scale brands who are doing this today for a living. The key question will be how fast can the scale brands evolve their skill sets to meet the needs of today's consumers? Because she's up 365 you know, 24-7 hunting, browsing at 3 a.m. Yeah. And you, know, you got to win SEO at 3 a.m. You got to win SEO at 3 a.m. And, you know, last time I checked, you didn't necessarily need to win lobby display at 3 a.m. Mm. Because if once you have a display, it's there 24-7, but it wasn't yeah. being encountered, which means you got to have skill sets like CPC, mastery of CPC. What, if you're a shopper CPC, marketer. What's CPC? Cost per click. There cost we go. per click, Peter. It's like, do you know how to manage cost per click? Do you understand return on advertising spend? These are all like everybody in CPG has to start becoming proficient yeah. at these. Uh, I can't tell you how many calls I get every week from leaders in CPG saying, I need to find someone that, with this skill set. Well, good luck because everybody else is trying to find them too. If you yeah. have those skill set, you're highly in demand. But and there's on the just agency not enough side. talent. There's not enough talent to go around to 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 supply the demand that's out there. Well, they don't teach it. I mean, it's not being taught in school yet, right? It's yeah. it's just too new of an industry for for people to to know what to do. And so that's a big struggle we have at Mindful Marketing as an agency. Is as we've been scaling up, it's like it's very difficult to find these skilled people. We we are finding them, but it's not easy, and we are having to pay a lot more than we used to have to pay for these people. So guys, I got one more question yep. for you here. Um, and it's a question yep. I ask on every single podcast. Um, we're yep. going to go three first. What is your secret to scaling? My secret to scaling is being in the details. If you're analytically oriented and you're willing to rip apart the numbers and understand it at a skew, skew level, you can achieve scale pretty quickly just with one skew if you choose to. Peter? Uh, personally, my secret to scaling is just eating a lot of snacks in between meals because then I just get <laughs> sorry. No, that I, that, helps that's you scale. Not you, that's yeah, exactly. A, that's a, a weekend, a, a week in the Okanagan drinking wine. Oh, I've scaled. Trust me. Um, <laughs> that's me sorry. next week. <laughs> I, I I I am jealous. I stop by and say hi to my dad. I haven't been able to see him in two years. Uh, would love to okay. be able to sooner. <laughs> For me, scale the secret to scaling is just understanding that you have to have the right experience wherever your consumer is. Right, and I gave you that example <laughs> earlier. If you think that digital content only relates to an online shopping experience and don't understand how you can influence the path to purchase in a physical store, you're not going to scale. Yeah. That to me yeah. is the secret understanding that you need to have all of the elements of the experience to give your consumer the confidence to make the purchase decision. If you're not able to do that, you will not scale effectively. Mm. Jordan, awesome. it'll be unfair if I don't ask you the same question. What is your secret to scaling? Uh, that's a really good question. No one's ever asked me that before. Uh, you know what? My, my secret to scaling is product. It, at the end of the day, it comes down to having a product that people actually want. Um, you can market all you mm -hmm. want. I, I really dislike when, when a client comes in, we don't really take these kind of clients anymore. We don't believe in the product. It's just like, 
we can't really do much for you. We're, we can only trick people for so long into buying your product. And if you don't have repeat purchasers, you're not going to have a business, right? So when I look and see an average lifetime value of $1,500 for a brand, right? And if people don't know their customer lifetime value, like how, how can you scale? You got to know what that customer yep. lifetime value is because you got to know how much you can spend to acquire the customer. So to me, that's my secret is really looking and digging into those numbers. And when we're looking at acquisitions, I look and see, oh, their customer lifetime value is only 90 bucks, but I can see actually how we can make it into 1500. I can just see they haven't done it. Or maybe they just can't do it because of the, the product or maybe we can't cross sell. Anyway, all, all that to say, it really comes down to that knowing your customer lifetime value and having good products. Got it. Wow. One heck of an episode, guys. Bring yeah, this from, was fun. You know, we talked about Jordan's digital agencies. We've talked predictions. We've talked our own planet Earth and contributions to it. And then, Peter, you and I got on the hot seat and we kind of talked about what's new, different in the CPG industry, how it's evolving. It's often the three of us have shared our opinions on this, our secret for scaling as well. So I want to remind the CPG Guys audience that all our content can be found on cpgguys.com. You can follow us on LinkedIn. Easy. Go to linkedin.com. Browse bar right on top, the search bar, type CPG Guys and hit the blue plus button. Jordan, closing messages for your audience, please. Yeah, guys, I really hope you enjoyed this episode. I, I, I think I might do more like this because this was just so enjoyable uh, to get to go uh, back and forth like this. But uh, yeah, for for us, just uh, if you could leave us a review, a kind review, um, that would be absolutely incredible. It's secrets to scaling your e-commerce brand. And uh, I, I hope you guys enjoyed this one. All right, Peter, close it out for us. Thanks to everyone for joining us on this very special podcast episode with Jordan West, Shri, and myself. We really appreciate it. We look forward to you joining us again, and we'll cross-pollinate. Hopefully, our podcast audience will find each other's, and we'll grow our audience, and the conversation will continue. Thanks, and have a great day. Content in this podcast episode is provided for general informational purposes only. By listening to our episode, you understand that no information contained in this episode should be construed as advice from CPG Guys LLC or the individual author, hosts, or guests, nor is it intended to be a substitute for research on any subject matter. Reference to any specific product or entity does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by CPG Guys LLC. The views expressed by guests are their own and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. The views expressed by CPG Guys LLC do not represent the views of their employers or the entity they represent. CPG Guys LLC expressly disclaims any and all liability or responsibility for any direct, indirect, incidental, special, consequential, or other damages arising out of any individual's use of reference to or inability to use this podcast or the information we present in this podcast.